French family, reminding us that Advent is about the contrast of, of darkness and light. And they're not here to light it, so I'll light it for, I'm sure Zane would want to light it if he were, if he were here. It's, it's only powerful to have light when it's dark. And we're glad you're here if you're online. And more of you are joining online these days uh, because of numbers and safety and all those kinds of things. So we're, we're glad that you're a part of our fellowship and our gathering today. And as, as we embark into this Advent season and this Christmas season, we're reminded of the power of light in dark and how important it is, how, how critical the light is. Because our times that we're in right now can feel a little bit dark. And so the prophet Isaiah said, into this darkness, a light has come. Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. And so this light we celebrate and we run to it. We embrace it. And we'll spend a few weeks digging into what that light means. The, it's good to have the French family via video. Uh, if you're Facebook friends with them, you may have seen this. Uh, poor little Zane had a little uh, spill uh, this week. In fact, it was, I think it was yesterday or Friday. Um, he, this is a little penny jar that, that Will has had since he was a, a little boy. And Zane was doing a little dance and spinning and knocked it, and it shattered. It's made of glass. And a, and a piece of it caught uh, poor little Zane in the head. And, uh, and so you, know, you can't really read all of it, but, uh, and you may not know that, that Will is a, a vet. Um, Becca is too. And, uh, and so I don't know what they went and grabbed, but he says, vet supplies for the win. Um, so they went to the children's ER, children's hospital, five stitches later. Uh, and so uh, apparently he's doing, he's doing well. You can pray for the French family. Um, not a fun, not a fun day for them. But I love what, what, uh, Will said and Becca, I guess it was probably Becca that wrote this. So, uh, Becca gets all the credit. I think you're probably watching Becca. You get all the credit. Um, don't let your guard down. 2020 is not over. I like that. That's so true. And I mean, what a year, what a year. And I, we've called this, this series, um, unexpected hope. You, that's the graphic you'll see there. This is partly because of 2020, but it's also partly because of the question that's been on my mind lately. And this is the question that I'd really like for you to ponder. How's your hope? How is your hope these days? If you were to take stock and ponder a bit, if you were to think about maybe the conversations you've been having with your friends or, or family, either over text or some of you in person, maybe some over the Thanksgiving holiday. How is your, how's your hope? What, what level is it at? And if you're anything like me, you've seen your hope go up and down. You've seen it wane. You've seen it maybe hit rock bottom. And then maybe one day you'll feel like you're, oh, you've overcome it. You're a little full of hope. Maybe you've got a friend who's an optimist, right? Just completely oblivious to headlines or what feels like world circumstances. And you have a chat with them and maybe it buoys you up. But on the wrong day, you have a chat with them and you feel like, man, their head's in the sand. They don't even, it's like they don't even know what's going on. And it could be maybe aggravating that they 
have a positive view of what's happening in the world? It's an important question because our hope can take a beating, a serious beating, when we go through times like we've been through this year. I mean, here we are lighting Advent candles and still mostly online and a few in person. Over the last weekend, we, we lit the, the star above the Castle Rock. Do you remember the last time the star was lit above the Castle Rock? It was lit for the beginning of the pandemic. Back in March, the city council said, we want to light this just to remind people that, that we're one, we're in this together, we can get through this. And that was back in March. Who would have guessed that our star lighting in our town would be virtual, that we wouldn't be crowded around cups of hot chocolate downtown Castle Rock watching this thing get lit. And yet here we are. So how is your hope? If we were to maybe ask you to kind of plot it on a, on a gauge, where would you find it? Full, empty, somewhere in between? Might depend on the day. This is an important question. It's important for this series and it's important for your walk. It's important for your perspective. It's important for you to have some grasp of what's happening with you in terms of hope. Because hope is critical. And, and we'll unpack this over the next four weeks. But when it comes to your ability to find your way forward, hope is central. When you and I think hard about what it means to make it through difficult circumstances, the role that hope plays cannot be overestimated. And you can even think back to the last few months, maybe one moment in time when you felt your hope began to wane and you saw all kinds of symptoms and results. Maybe it was lethargy or just laziness or apathy or maybe it was anxiety or maybe it was anger. Maybe it came out in a conversation, but you could tie it back to, if you think thoughtfully about it, to hope ebbing away from you. So I don't know what you think hope is, but let's create a working definition of hope. And we'll use this throughout this series, but it's an important definition and it has some important elements. But you'd be pondering this and, and if you had a gauge, you know, what, what would it be at today? It's important for you to think about it. So here, here's how we'll define hope for the next four weeks. And it's a good definition because it, it pulls in all kinds of research and thoughtfulness about the role of hope, the power of hope, and what happens when we don't have hope, okay? And so these words are carefully chosen. Uh, we'll, again, unpack over the next four weeks. But for today, hope is this. Anticipating, looking forward to, you can see something in the future. And these are two really key elements. Anticipating and working toward, say it with me. Better days ahead. Now, early in the middle of a crisis, you can think, oh, I remember that it wasn't always like this. It didn't used to be like this. You know, we've got a problem. We've got a sickness. I remember one time when Donna and I and the boys, you know, we all got the flu one year when they were little, and we all kind of got it in rapid succession, you know, to the point where all four of us are laying on a couch Nobody wants to move and go anywhere. You know, we're just existing on Sprite and crackers and things like that. And there we lay, and we, could, we all just pondered and just thought, you know, oh, you remember three or four days ago, it wasn't like this? And we could think back. And then as the flu wore on, we, 
we decided to get through this, you know, like five days into this, we're going to make a list of the things that we're going to do when we get better. And so we made a list, you know, I don't know, grabbed a crayon. Nobody got off the couch. I mean, we just used what we had and we just laid there for a week and we made this list and we're going to go on a walk and we're going to go sledding in winter in Indiana. And this is what we're going to do. And we, we had this sense that we were going to anticipate. And even now, Laying on the couch, we're working toward, we're thinking about better days ahead. And you could probably do that a little bit easier back in March or April, maybe even May. What about June? What about July? August? Did we really just celebrate Thanksgiving, socially distanced? Hope. These elements are key. So how's your hope? Anticipating, looking forward, and working toward better days ahead. The reason why we have this definition and why it matters, and you'll see it as the Bible stories that we tap into unfold, hope isn't just a feeling. It's not just a sense. It's not just a, a, a warm emotion that you might have. Hope has tangible, seeable, grab-holdable benefits that extend far beyond what you might consider to be the Pollyanna view of an optimist. So, back to my question. How's your hope? How are you in terms of anticipating and, and working toward better days ahead? If your hope's a little beat up or maybe a little near the empty side, Take heart. The Advent season is tailor-made for us. The Christmas season is made for people who are walking in darkness. It's made for people who see the power of one flame in a dark room and know that things can get better. Now, this just isn't uh, the thoughts of psychologists and researchers regarding hope. In fact, while we'll figure out that this is sort of a this definition is, is helpful, and it's embraced by anybody who works in the mental health field and understands psychology. It's really got its roots in the truth of Scripture because all truth is God's truth, and it centers around everything that God has made and how he created the world. When we see a good definition of hope, then we understand why verses like Hebrews 11, 1, begin to make sense. Here's what Hebrews 11, 1 says. Now, faith is, is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Let's all say it together, okay? You can have to say it loud since there's about half of you than more than normal here. Let's all say it together. We'll start right now. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This isn't just a, a passive, comforting feeling like we said. This is an active, engaged Part of what it means to know who God is, know why he created you, and why you walk the earth. Why you're here, why you have the job you have, why you have the relationships that you have, the resources that are at your disposal. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And so what do you not see right now? That things can get better, that things might get better that you'll find a way in your life and in your family to heal and relationships to be repaired. 
It's a belief in what is to come. And we cannot see it now. But it will begin to unfold. And it will get better. This is what we want to see. And so the writer of Hebrews follows this little statement up with this little statement. He says this. This is what the ancients were commended for. This chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the faith chapter. And it's all about hope and what hope does. And this belief that we will not see it. In fact, near the end of the chapter and chapter 12 that follows, the author of Hebrews says they did not see it come to pass. They, they didn't live in their life. The, the number of years that they experienced their life on earth, it didn't come to pass right before their very eyes, but they eventually saw it. In fact, it all came together for them. And this is what they were commended for. Who were the ancients? Oh, it's Abraham, it's Rahab, it's Moses, it's Noah, it's Sarah. Men and women that are chronicled in the Old Testament that believed in what they could not see. And this story of the ancients, every one of them did something. Noah built a boat. Rahab hid the spies. Moses went up the mountain and he believed that God could use him to lead his people out of slavery. Abraham believed that God might build a family out of him and so he moved his entire estate and everything that he thought or believed that was his to a brand new place he had never even seen before. All of the ancients who believed, they did something. They found a path. You'll see over the next few weeks, this is tied to the idea of what it means to hope. Now the Advent story tells us about this hope. The story, as Luke begins to tell it, in his gospel, tells us what this story looks like and how hope shows up. When he begins, he starts with these words. Very first verse of Luke, chapter 1, verse 1. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events. Luke is a physician, he's a historian, and he spent time with Paul, and he's heard eyewitness accounts about everything that has occurred. And he says this, many of people set out to write accounts about the events that have been, what? Fulfilled among us. It's probably not a great translation of the Greek word. A better translation would be, have been surely believed among us. In other words, we've seen it. We've heard about it. And these things we believe. And we've heard the story. And so Luke begins telling the story of Jesus. Now, like every good story, the story of Jesus doesn't begin with Jesus, does it? It begins with other people. It begins with people that are not really even the key players in the story, not even Mary, not even Joseph. It begins with cousins, distant aunts and uncles, it's just like your story, isn't it? Your story didn't begin with you either. Your story has a context, and your context extends beyond you, not just in time, but in space, in history, in years. And so your story begins generations before you, people that began to lay a foundation of either trusting in God or rebelling against them? Did you chart a new course in your family? Or did you follow in the footsteps of people of faith? How did you end up in this room online? How did you end up a part of the family of faith that you're a part of now? 
Are you testing out the, the failings or the beliefs of your ancestors? What happened in the context of your story? Luke knows that it doesn't begin with Jesus. In fact, when Luke begins to tell the story, it begins with a man named Zechariah, who was a priest of God, and a woman named Elizabeth, his wife, and their family, and their friends, and their community. That's your story too. And in fact, the way you're living out your story today, listen close, will affect the generations to come and they will either have to chart a new course because of our independence and rebellion and resistance and hard-heartedness or they'll be able to build on what we provided for them, a foundation of faith and love and selflessness. What about the ones that are to come for you? How is your hope? Hope will determine what they're building on or what they're having to undo. Hope will determine where you end up, not just next week or next month or a year from now, but in years to come. It's your story. So Luke begins to unfold this story of light in darkness. And he tells the story of a priest named Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, he gives us a few details, in fact, just not too far into the chapter, chapter one of Luke, he says this, but they, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. Now, you, you might quickly assume that there's something wrong with Elizabeth, that maybe some physical circumstance, but we don't know that. The implication here is that, well, conception couldn't occur, but we don't know whose fault it is or whether it was God holding back or whether it was simply circumstances that prevented it, she was not able to conceive, and they, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they were both what? What's very old to you? It's getting older, isn't it? A little bit? Yeah. Very old has changed for you over time, hasn't it? And as the goalposts get moved back for very old... It makes me wonder about Elizabeth and Zechariah. It makes me wonder about these important realities that they were facing in their life. Luke makes it clear. They're childless, can't have a baby, and they're old. Now, whatever old was for them, they're watching time move on. And these aren't feelings that Luke is describing. These are facts. They didn't have any spawn, no children, no heirs, and the clock was running out on them. Now, aside from the facts, there are these feelings. What's going on? What is God up to? You can imagine Zechariah and Elizabeth decades before probably. Maybe even when she was betrothed to him and they had their life together and they pondered about their future. When they started, they would have started with hope. We, we have no idea what, the, what God is going to do for us. Do you remember what it was like when you got started? I remember when Donna and I were engaged. Donna was 18. I was 19 and a half, 20. 
and we pondered, we were engaged for a year. When we got married, Donna was 19, I was 21. And, and we just thought about our future together and what it would mean and where we would go and what life would have. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had the same thoughts and feelings that every young person has when they consider their life and the future. And over the years, they had hope that was firmly planted in their hearts and they watched as their friends began to have families. Elizabeth's friends began to have babies. One and then number two and number three, maybe bigger families. And they waited and they wondered. And their family remained just the two of them year after year after year. Now the cultural assumption would be that God isn't blessing us. If God was blessing us, we would have kids. You've thought the same thing about your own life. I mean, if God was blessing us, things would be easier for us. If God was blessing us, everything would work for me. If God was blessing us, I wouldn't have lost my job. If God was blessing us, they felt the same thing. And, and before long, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens after disappointment, after disappointment, after struggle, after waiting for relationships to be healed and nothing happens. Hope turns into hopeless. And so that little gauge that we showed you earlier, it begins to just dwindle. God, we've prayed, nothing's happened. We don't know why. I don't understand why this has gone this way, why my kids are the way they are, why our life is the way it is, why our future feels as bleak as it feels. But hope turns in to hopeless. And they've given up. Why? Well, they're childless and they're old. I don't know about you, this year I felt older than I've ever felt. Okay, of course, obvious, right? I'm older than I've ever been. But it seems to be moving a little quicker than I anticipated this year. And so what do you do when you're hopeless? When you look at your circumstances? Well, I mean, eventually you do what everybody does. It is what it is. We accept it. The alternative is to push against it, and boy, after a while, you just get tired of that. Disappointment is too big to bear. Hope feels like a risky endeavor because you have hoped, and it hasn't come to fruition. And so you resign yourself to being hopeless, maybe apathetic, or maybe just distant with God. Has that happened to you? It can, before you know it. Remember the definition? Don't forget it. It's going to become very important. You anticipate and you work toward better days ahead. Zechariah and Elizabeth didn't have this. They, in regards to their heirs, or maybe the faith that they would pass on, or Zechariah raising a little priest in his household, their hope was gone. And sometimes our hope is gone. And it evaporates. And so as Luke tells the story, he tells us that Zechariah was on duty at the temple. It was his turn, his little order of priests, his buddies, his little priestly cohort. They showed up and he was chosen by lot to go in and offer an offering of incense on a specific day. And he goes in to the temple into a special place all by himself. While he's all by himself, Zechariah has an experience 
that is miraculous. And it's absolutely full of hope. Luke chapter 1 tells us about it. Zechariah's there and an angel shows up. We later learn it's Gabriel. We don't know it at first. Gabriel, the archangel, who's often in the presence of God, has been dispatched to earth. And he brings a message. And he says some things to Zechariah that would have just blown his mind. He says, Zechariah, you're not going to believe this. You're going to have a son. And you're going to love this son. He's going to bring joy to all kinds of people. And his life is going to be unlike anything you've ever seen. His life will be devoted to God. And he will bring this message of salvation that's going to be for all people. In fact, Gabriel's words are so poignant. It's, it's this first indication that in great darkness there will be a light. And while Zechariah receives this message, while he's in a very holy place, while his prayers have been visibly going up to God, Zechariah looks at an angel whom he's never seen before, anything like it, and he just says this. Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? Now, if you can put yourself in Zechariah's shoes, if you can think about the hopeless nature that he and Elizabeth have dealt with over the years, and you can just at least ponder for a moment what was going on in his heart and his mind, he says, how can I be sure of this? It's almost like he's dealing with somebody who's selling him lumber or something, you know? And he says, yeah, that's a full cord of wood. It'll keep you warm all winter. And he wants to say, well, how can I be sure of this? Or somebody has made some promise in some business deal, and he just says, how can I be sure? That's not what's happening, though. Zechariah is in the temple of God. He's offering an incense offering to God, and an angel shows up in his very presence and says, you've wanted so long to have a boy. You're going to have a boy. Elizabeth's going to conceive. And his response is, I don't know about that. Why? Ah, years of waiting can harden your heart. Hope, well, you know what the proverb says. Hope deferred makes the heart, do you remember what it says? Makes the heart sick. That's what hope deferred does. So Zechariah, well, it's pretty clear he doesn't believe it yet. And he's not sure and he is afraid to hope. You know why? Life can beat your hope to bits and pieces and leave you afraid to hope. Maybe you are afraid to hope. Is that true for you? You've had an optimistic friend say things are going to get better, and you think, you're not even reading the headlines. How do you know? Somebody has said to you, it's not as bad as you think, and you're thinking, your head's in the sand. You don't have any idea how bad it is. You're looking at your own life wondering, can things get better? And some of you are afraid to hope. It's incredible when Zechariah says this, Gabriel looks at him and says, uh, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been dispatched for this very purpose to tell you exactly what's going to happen. 
And then Gabriel gives him this great reminder. Gabriel says, you know, because you have not believed, we'll give you a sign. We're going to give you a sign. And here's the sign. You will not be able to speak until the child is born. And from that moment on, Zechariah could not say even so much as a syllable, let alone, how can I be sure of this? He could not speak at all. And now he has some time to thoughtfully consider, oh, me and my wife, we've gone from hope to hopeless. Now we have years to ponder and consider how God is going to take us from hopeless to hope. It's a beautiful moment in Scripture. When, when Gabriel shows up in this holy place to have his little chat with Zechariah and to help him understand what's about to happen to him, the very first thing that Gabriel says is this. Do not be afraid. What? Zechariah. Calls him by name. Now, we know why the angel says, do not be afraid, right? I mean, Zechariah is supposed to be alone in a place. Nobody's allowed in except him. Gabriel just appears in front of him. Angels are not little cherubs. They're probably very strong, very imposing figures. And it would scare anybody. You know, he'd make poor Zechariah, you know, wet his robe or whatever. And in this moment, he's saying, do not be afraid. I think he's also telling him, do not be afraid to hope. Do not be afraid. I know Zechariah. You prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing happened. Your wife didn't conceive. And you found yourself waiting. And you got so tired of asking that you quit asking. Because when you ask and you don't receive, well, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Do not be afraid to hope. I'm telling you, I came from God and this is what's going to happen next. Some of you are afraid to hope and the Christmas season is going to remind you and usher you into a place where you're going to be afraid to put your weight down on God's goodness, on God's grace, on the fact that God is up to something good even if it appears like he isn't. And some of you are afraid of that. Ah, life has beaten your hope to bits and pieces. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Do not be afraid. Your prayer, what? Has been heard. Christmas is the chapter in history that reminds us that God has not forgotten us. Christmas is this moment in time when God sees us and says, I know your name, I've heard your prayers, and I will never leave you or forsake you. If you're afraid to hope, if you're afraid to put your full weight on the promises of God, Christmas will remind you that as bleak and as dark as it may seem that it is, and as unfaithful as we can be, God is with us, and he will never leave us. He won't. In fact, God would say the same thing to you that Gabriel said to Zechariah. 
Don't be afraid to hope. Your prayers have been heard. I see you and I know your name and I know what you need and I will meet your expectations beyond your wildest dreams. This is his promise. And faith is believing that God is up to good stuff. And so this is the question that you'll ask over the next few weeks and maybe wrestle with today. How is your hope? How are you meeting God in the middle of your disbelief and your fear? And are you willing to open-handedly allow God to meet you right here in this moment? So whether you're here in this room or online, let's pray together. Lord, we wrestle with this question. It is sort of the elephant in the room. Can we dare to hope? Can we dare to believe that you can heal broken and discarded relationships? Lord, do we believe that you, even through what has been a most tension-filled, disappointment-filled, difficult year, filled with all kinds of fractured relationships, hatred, fear, anger, that you would be in the middle of that, meeting us with hope is beyond our comprehension. And so Lord, as we begin this Advent season, we declare that we need the light that Jesus brings. We say with passion that we feel often like we're walking in darkness. And so Lord, meet us. Would you fill us with hope? And Lord, as we wrestle with this question over the next few weeks, may the story that unfolds before us remind us that you see us and that you know our name and that you will meet us in our hopelessness and transform our hearts. Lord, give us the hope that we need. 